Welcome to the Rabbit Hole PVD Podcast. I'm Lee McAdams. I'm Kyle Carlson. And, uh, yeah, welcome back. This is a special episode we have here we're excited about. Uh, we have a good special guest we're going to talk to in a little bit. Covered a lot of topics, a lot of good topics. Yeah. We got Lucas Cantor on the episode today. Oh, yeah. Took a Zoom call from Los Angeles, California to catch up with him and see what he was getting into. He is a music producer and also works in music film, all, yeah, all kinds com- of Composer, things. yeah, great musician himself, uh, guitarist, um, multi-instrumentalist a little bit. He's worked on all sorts of soundtracks and he's worked with Lucasfilm, Disney, Netflix, and even the Wu-Tang Clan a little bit. Pretty much everything you could imagine. But, uh, we're going to get into that with Lucas, and just wanted to give a couple quick shouts. First off, to uh, our guest on the last episode, Brian Rosa. Rosa, working yeah. hard. You can find that episode everywhere, and uh, shouts to Anchor Podcasts for helping us get out there on Spotify and Apple Podcasts Absolute and everywhere. to them. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. So, uh, yeah, w- without any more... Uh... <laughs> We're going to roll right into yeah. this interview is what he's trying to say. So let's get it. <laughs> Lucas Cantor. On Zoom, let's go. All right, so uh, we're here with Lucas Cantor. Am I saying that right? <laughs> yep. Cool. And uh, we're just going to play one of his tracks he sent me earlier. Um, it's called Mirror. And it's uh, going to tell us a little bit about it. Just get into it and digest a little bit of what he's all about. So you're doing everything except for the drums on this track, right? Yeah. Can you hear this right now? I can hear it, yeah. I hear it mono. (laughs) So, um, who is it that you worked with on this track? So this is a drummer named Herb Pierker, who I met in Vienna when you guys were probably 10 years old. Um, (laughs) And uh, he was in a band that I just, uh, he was in a band that I uh, like just hooked up with out there. And I just thought it was amazing. So when he came to New York a couple of years later, I recorded him in my studio there. And I, I just said, you know, I was like, I didn't know he was coming. He just kind of called me when he got there. And so I said, all right, just come to the studio. I'm going to give you a click track. Just like, I don't know, just do something. And I just gave him a bunch of different tempos. And an engineer friend of mine and I later um, just added stuff to it. And we, we chopped him up a little bit, but mainly pr- pretty much what, what is on the record is just his takes and then I put stuff on top of him. He just did it in like kind of a song form and you know, he's just he's really I love it. I love the jazzy nature of it. It's got almost that jazz fusion sound. It's really powerful. You can tell Thank it, you. it's it's got that spontaneousness, but it's definitely put together well. There's structure there. And when it gets to that big build part, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I did. I tried my hand at uh, making a music video too for this, which is oh, yeah. you can check it out. It's, it's on my Instagram, and it's probably on YouTube. I think I uploaded it to YouTube. Try to add a link to that too. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll send you guys a link to that. But it's it's cool. So this is this. I did this album. Um, I recorded all this stuff and finished it in 2009, maybe maybe 2007. And it wasn't until COVID that I just dug it up and was like, oh shit, I never released this, and I. I 
So I just decided, uh, like, I don't know what I was waiting for at the time. I guess I thought it like wasn't ready to go. And then listening to it with fresh ears later, I just thought, oh, this is this is good. I'm going to release it. And it's it's been one of my um, it's been one of my more popular, like indie, not associated with any film or anything releases that I've ever done. So yeah, it's really cool. We'll and that, that is cool. You do a lot of um, film work and, and composing for films and television. Yeah, we found that very interesting about you, too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but before all that, what inspired you in the first place to start playing music? Is there like a certain artist or a moment in time? Um, well, there was a moment in time. Um, my, I was in eighth grade and there was a, we had like a student center lounge type thing. Uh, and there was a guitar in it. And there was this girl who I went to school with, and I thought that she would be really impressed if I learned how to play a song on the guitar. <laughs> nice. And <laughs> so I spent a free period learning how to play like nothing else, you know, nothing else matters, or like open E. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and um, <laughs> Metallica. she was, yeah, Metallica. She was, she was, I, I don't think she even noticed, but I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And so I just started taking lessons, and yeah. that's kind of, that's how it all started for me. Are you going to pass that? Are you going to pass that? Give him the joint. <laughs> <laughs> is this, is that legal in Rhode Island? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. It is. It's it's legal in a, a lot of New England now. So where are you nice. out of right yeah. now? And where are you from? I'm in Los Angeles where we've had legal weed forever. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> so it's no big thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. My wife was actually, um, was saying that, you know, she didn't understand that there were some people because we're, we're in like a different phase of the COVID vaccine, I think, than most of the country where like it's people with medical conditions now are getting it and all the old people have gotten it. And so some people, there's an epidemic of some Californians just kind of lying about having a medical condition because there's no background checking. So they can get that. And back. my wife was like, how? yeah, she said, how can anybody do that? And I said, well, we were conditioned by 10 years of medical marijuana. So <laughs> Californians are used to just saying like, oh, yeah, my back totally hurts. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, that's <laughs> true. That's a layer. Yeah. That's a deep layer of. It. So you were born in Los Angeles too? Hell no, I was born in Boston. Oh wow, cool. Boston. So East Coast. We're neighbors. Awesome. East Coast. Yeah, I, I grew up in New York. I didn't move out here until 2010, um, okay. and I just moved out here to do, you know, to do uh, more film because this is sort of where the film industry is. But yeah, uh, I was born in Boston, grew up in New York. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, how how kind of did you get involved in the in the film industry? Uh, well, my dad makes documentary films, so I was sort of in. Um, so I, I was his production assistant for a long time. So I, on that side of the industry, I'd been doing since I was very young, and I got a job when I was out of college, uh, or when I was in college, I guess, still working for NBC Sports and Olympics, doing uh, music supervision and stuff for them, and. I did that for many years and I just, after a couple of years, I, you know, I, I also had access to a studio because the company I was doing that with was also a music production company and they sort of said, you know, we're out of here at six. So between six and 10 a.m. it's yours. Just, you know, clean it up. Don't, yeah. uh, you know, awesome. don't burn anything down. And yeah. I almost yeah. made it without burning anything down. I'll tell you that story <laughs> if you want. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, they sort of, <laughs> so they, uh, they, allow, they allowed me to use the studio and I, I realized, you know, uh, I realized after a while of listening to some of the music in sports, I was like, I can make that, you know, I can do that kind of stuff. I, I'd gone to music school, I played guitar, and I just started making, on my spare time really, started making tracks and submitting them, and people started liking them. And after a couple of years, it just got to the point where I thought I should do this professionally. And a, um, 
I came out to LA, I went to a recording session out here with like a real orchestra for a big movie. And about 10 seconds into that, I thought, well, this is where I've got to be because this is obviously a different, a yeah, different thing. Awesome. So, nice. Yep. And were, were you involved with like live music and playing with bands and stuff before that? or? Were you yeah, I, I have played many a concert and done many a recording in a room that is very similar to the one you guys are sitting in right now. <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> the yeah. room. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So it was music first and then film? Yeah, I uh, I was I, I studied jazz guitar. I went to SUNY Purchase in New York and I studied uh, jazz guitar there. I got to study with some really great guitar players uh, and jazz musicians who are you know around New York City and I, I really I just I really liked jazz I thought it was a great way of understanding right. how music works Love and I came up in jam bands yeah I came up doing jam band stuff and I was like well there's no degree in jam bands but I guess jazz guitar is the next best thing yeah <laughs> um, yeah. Jazz is yeah. definitely the like a, a core of, of all the jamming. So yeah. I have to ask yeah. curiosity who are some of your favorite jazz guitarists just because I, I love that style yeah, well, my first, um, like the first jazz guitarist I was really introduced to was, uh, well, actually, I should back up. So John Schofield lives in the same town as me, um, or lives now lives in the same town as my parents. But so he was like a person I knew growing up. Growing up, cool. his daughter is the same age as me, and I, I knew his son uh, pretty well too. And so he was the first jazz guitar player that I was ever really exposed to, yeah. um, and I think I probably saw him live before I heard a recording. Yeah. Uh, and because because you still you know you play at the library yeah. going on. <laughs> um, what a great yeah. experience yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty uh deep actually the one of the only times i was in providence uh john had a concert there and needed an amp that was in new york and so like he called me and you know basically was like i'll get you a hotel room if you could pick this amp up at my house and drive it to providence right now so i did that i got to hang out with him i think bela fleck was also there and sat in it was like a yeah, crazy awesome. sweet concert um <laughs> bela fleck is also like a hero of mine a musical hero of mine well, um, you know the fleck tones yeah um and uh but jazz guitarist to, to get to get more uh you know jazz guitar nerdy on you um I, uh, West Montgomery, Boss Guitar was the first like jazz album that I ever That's really got deep into. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then sort of the East Coast guys, Pat Martino, I was just like thinking about him the other day for some reason. Yeah, that And Matheny, obviously. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, one of my favorite uh, jazz guitar albums is, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's, just, it's sort of a little known album called Trioing by a guy named Jonathan Kreisberg, who's a New Yorker. Oh yeah. And it's him and Ari Honig on drums and Johannes Weidenmuller. And Ari Honig is one of those drummers who's like an amazing melodic soloist on the drums. Yeah. And it's just it's just three guys playing standards, listening to each other like so beautifully. It's really a great record. Um, yeah, I could go. We could do a whole hour of me just talking about jazz guitar records. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quality to have. Right. But uh, we'll, we'll get back into more of your, uh, your film work seems to be your uh, your main focus right yeah i suppose so yeah what's um, your current project that you're working on right now well so one of the um one of the reasons that like i i was a little bit late today and one of the reasons that i've been like less than responsive on email is all of my projects came back like two weeks ago like it went from i was sitting doing i was sitting in this room like i built some shelves 
I organized some stuff. Like I just had nothing to do for a while. And um, they all came back two weeks ago. And part of the nature of working in entertainment is that like, I basically can't talk about the things that I'm currently working on. Ah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I can tell you uh, in general terms, you know, it's like TV stuff. And so, um, so it's all stuff that'll come out. People you know, just in the, have to in the next couple of months after this interview so yeah. they can find out what you're getting into next. Exactly. Yeah. It's all really fun stuff though. And it's great to like turn the, I'm pointing my, my composing rig is right there. Here. Shot. So, oh, wow. Nice. Uh, you know, yep. yeah, to turn on. So it was good to like turn that on. And I, I, the, the project I did last week was like a TV type project. And I haven't like done, I haven't done a TV show in, in, you know, probably about a year. I haven't really had to score anything to picture. And so I was really the first couple of minutes of music I had to write were really just like getting the cobwebs out and remembering, oh, okay, right. This is how you connect this computer to this computer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, um, the last thing I did, uh, that is, I guess, kind of notable and is, is out now is uh, I wrote the theme song to Major League Soccer on Fox. So wow. that premiered in October and now the season is hit, starting up again. And so that, that music is still cool. getting used. So Very if you're cool. one of the dozens of Americans who enjoy soccer. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's funny. You've also um, you've done a lot of work with the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. uh, actually. Yeah, I, I do mostly music supervision for the Olympics. Yeah. So. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, music services is what it's called, where you're doing kind of the paperwork and back end associated with music. And um, when I first started, it was more of a supervision role, which is a little bit more creative. And now it's kind of like a, you know, uh, every other year gig that I do where I just handle some of their, um, some of their back end stuff. Yeah. So the, the title, I guess, is as associate producer, but, um, but it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a big credit and it's something I'm very proud of, but it's one of the least like, interesting to talk about things yeah um, still something yeah. proud of though for sure yeah absolutely yeah it's i mean it's an amazing to be involved in the olympics on any level is yeah. incredible absolutely. absolutely definitely and um you also you've done work with dreamworks and lucasfilm uh, disney and then uh, I, I found it interesting you did the wu-tang clan in space <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> let's talk about yeah that was <laughs> okay, that, that, that's one of my favorite projects I've ever done. So, <laughs> my friend, uh, my friend Sam Spiegel, um, who goes by Sam I now, is uh, a director and a musician and a composer who I've known since we were in middle school in New York together. So I've known him for at least ten or fifteen years, many years. I've known him for a long time, and um, and we're uh, so he. Um, this was. It wasn't the first thing he directed, but it was among the first things that he had directed on a larger scale. And because I knew him more as a composer and we had done a lot of music projects together, but he asked me to be the you know composer for Wu-Tang in Space. And he had this like, he's just one of those guys, like he has this very specific, but totally uncompromising artistic vision. And um, and this was just his brainchild, him and, uh, and another creative director, uh, who, um, who was really incredible in Los Angeles. And they, they just had this brainchild and I, I was brought on to score it because I I like Wu-Tang, but more importantly, I, I think we sort of share a sense of humor. So, nice. you know, we just take the take the ridiculous stuff seriously, take the serious, make the serious stuff ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, like and yeah, he hired me to, the, the, for the first scene they gave me for that was the monster fight. And he hired me, he called me, I was in Maine at the time. And I was at my, my family house in Maine and he said, so I've, I've got this monster fight. This is kind of the thing I want to start with. And I want it to be like Godzilla, like 
like, do you know that movie with Godzilla and like and Mothra? And as I'm like, as he's saying this to me, I'm sitting in what was what is the living room of this house, thinking like, all I did all summer in this house in Maine when I was a kid was watch Godzilla movies. <laughs> I, I know exactly what he's talking about. I've seen the Godzilla and Mothra movie 200 times, and I uh, just went to my laptop and just whipped up something, just super shitty mock-up on the piano. But I was like, I think this is the right thing, and he was like, Yeah, that's gonna do it. So great. <laughs> when I get back to LA, we'll get on it. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, and it was it was really fun. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm proud of that, and I'm glad you brought it up because like I feel like less people have seen that than should have seen it. Yeah, <laughs> check that out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Peep it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, I noticed you've also been doing work with uh, AI technology in composing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want yeah. to know a little about that. I don't know anything about that. Well, nobody really does. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's a uh, I did, uh, I finished, here I'll show you the phone. So I finished Schubert's Unfinished Symphony with artificial intelligence with this phone. This is a Huawei Mate 20 Pro. Um, Huawei is the biggest technology company in the world, but they don't sell any phones in the US. So uh, I had never heard of them at the time. Um, and my, my agent, you know, sort of told me about this gig and I was like, what's Huawei? Is that a company? Like, what is, what is this? And he was like, it's like the biggest company in the world. <laughs> um, so uh, I had no idea, but uh, you know, I didn't know it was a big deal. So I was just like, and I think part of, part of what made that an easy, like part of what made getting that job less stressful for me was that like, I had no idea who they were. So I wasn't like really stressing out about getting the gig. Like yeah. if Apple called me to do the same thing, I would kind of be losing my mind. Yeah. But I was like, I, what is it? I can't even pronounce the name of this company, whatever. Just send them a, you know, here's my idea. Just send it to them. And uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, we used their phone uh, and their AI technology to come up with a, I guess a speculative finishing of Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. And we performed it in, uh, in London, Cadogan Hall with an orchestra. It's recorded. I'm gonna release it eventually. Yeah. Um, and uh, this will be an exclusive for your podcast, but I, I reached out to a very, I don't think I should name him, but I reached out to a very, very well-known mastering engineer to master the Unfinished Symphony. And he's like, a, you know, an older guy who's probably won 150 Grammys and he's from New England. And I, so I just reached out to him. I don't know him. I just reached out to him and said like, I have this album. I want to get it mastered by you paying for it myself you know what can you do for me yeah. and he said you know based on the press on this I'm, I'm really interested and you know why don't you send it to me and I'll see what I can do and so I sent it to him a couple weeks later I haven't heard anything and I get a note back from him that says I really enjoyed it until about 10 minutes in to the you know the second the third movement where you did this particular string run that just wasn't ideal you know wasn't idiomatic of that period yeah. And so I think you really got away from the period. And so I, you know, I don't really buy it, but I mastered it anyway for free. Here you go. Wow. That's uh, amazing. So yeah, everyone's a critic though, right? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> you know, but what a, what an amazing thing for him to, uh, to actually just take the time for you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's huge. Oh yeah. I mean, you want to give me, you know, $10,000 worth of mastering for free. You're entitled to give me your thoughts on the piece. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfectly fine. I can only imagine the work that goes into mastering a full orchestra recording I know. too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, It's it sounds amazing. And, you know, I mean, Mick, it was recorded well and, you know, it was, uh, I like to think it was written well and performed well. So, um, you know, he had his work cut out for him though because it was live and I, I had to do a lot of RXing of, uh, I, I think it was um, Andre Previn who said that the um, musicians rehearse and prepare and uh, that's their job and the audience's job is to show up and cough. 
<laughs> There's a lot of coughing in this recording that I've tried to get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Trouble of live recordings. <laughs> the struggle. Yeah. Yeah, live uh, recording, yeah. as even we know, can be yeah. a task. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you also uh, you did a TED talk on this on the subject. It's, uh, yeah, I should be clear that it's a TEDx talk, which is different. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the difference being that like the TED organization did not invite me to speak. TEDx are independently organized. I don't know why I feel the need to preface that, but whatever. I did a talk. Someone yeah. asked me to come do a talk. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really used it. Is so I have I, I keep talking about my agent. I have two agents. One of them is a music agent. One of them is a literary agent. And my literary agent suggested that I do this TEDx talk because he thought it would help me like hone in the idea for my book. Because when you have to condense something into eight minutes and make it like a nice tight eight minute talk, you really get to know your subject. Yeah. And, and I have, uh, I mean, I, it, it would, if I had had to do an hour talk, it would have taken me way less time. And so what's <laughs> your, what's your book about? So I'm writing a book about uh, technology and creativity throughout the, you know, throughout yeah. history. So we'll start in, uh, we'll start in Mesopotamia and work our way forwards till we get to the end. Wow, that's uh, awesome. So, yeah, that's the plan now. I have a, and that, that's that's something I can sort of talk about, which is, um, you know, I've got meetings with publishers, my, and yeah. there's there's some interest in it. So that's so cool. that'll that probably happen. Great idea. Sounds yeah. very interesting. Historic. Thank you. Promise me you'll buy. So, so that's two copies of the book I've sold. Yeah. Right? Pre-orders. We'll be staying <laughs> too. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Yeah. So did, did that kind of come about as like a passion project, or? Um... Yeah, I've I've kind of always I've always um, I've always been a like a bit of an amateur writer. I write a lot of I'm the editor for Thrive Global's music section, um, and uh, I I've always liked writing. And this just like a book is you, you, there's kind of a specific criteria for if you can if you should write a book as a like I didn't want to do it indie. Uh, how do I put this? I'm not as enough of a writer to want to like indie publish my book because I feel like I need to get it out there. But I do want to write it, but I only want to do it if I can do it with a publisher. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I felt like this idea, I sort of had the credentials to be able to do it with a publisher because I, you know, plausibly an expert in this field. Right. Um, whereas if I wanted to write a book about, you know, philosophy, I mean, I'm not a professional philosopher, so like that would just be a, some guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't have any academic credentials, so I'm just some guy writing some thoughts. Yeah. But uh, but in the world of AI and creativity, I'm a you know professional creative who's worked with artificial intelligence quite a bit. So putting the two together and writing about it, yeah. interesting. It's not something yeah. we're done. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and you don't hear about the artificial technology with, um, with music a lot. No, you don't hear about you know. Yeah. You don't hear a direct connection yeah. to it at least. So it's cool that you're involved. You're going to hear it. about it more. Yeah, longer, it's, it's you know, cool. the yeah, next couple of years. About all these new kind of innovative things that are going on with music, it's it's kind of a time for all of that. On right the now. precipice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I don't know um, how much you want to get into this, but I know you also did work on the uh, the song with Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm ha I'm, ha I'm happy to. I don't have any like secrets really yeah. in my career. Like yeah. anything you found on my anything you found on my website, I'm happy to talk about. <laughs> um, so, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for your current project, we're being yeah. we're being careful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the uh, I think the the project with Lord is you know that's old enough that I can probably tell you all the details and um, cool. but yeah. So the the short story with that is I was working for. Um, I, when I moved to Los Angeles, I started working at Hans Zimmer's studio um, for, and the way that his studio works is like, there's a bunch of other composers who work there. And um, I was like one of the assistants to one of those composers. So Hans might know me if he saw me as a, like, I kind of recognize that guy, but we, I didn't like, he didn't hire me. I was working for someone who was working for him. And wow. so, um, but you know, you're part of this sort of community over there. And yeah. so I was over there and a friend of mine uh, does trailers and asked me if I could do this trailer track with this singer that um, it, this was the summer of 2013. And at that point, Lord was just some singer from New Zealand whose album had gotten a little bit of traction like locally. So this so was, that was it. a blow up. This was before yeah. she was like, yeah, a household name. Uh, this was this was like way before she blew up. This was, you know, as if I yeah, like um, and so I did, um, you know, this is like if if in six months I was running for president and I was a plausible candidate, like <laughs> this podcast episode would probably all of a sudden be very popular. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, I have so uh, the the basically, you know, we did. So we did this cover and we, we sent it to her. She sang it, sent it back and we gave it to the film that had asked for it. And they, you know, they basically were just like, yeah, whatever. We don't we don't dig it. And then, and, and they and they had they couldn't they couldn't sell it. This was you know summer of 2013. And then, Lord just blew up, won every Grammy, yeah. and all of a sudden, this was the only thing that she had sung on that had her vocals on that was not released yet. And so, you know, every wow. anybody who wanted something from her, this was the thing that they wanted. And very high. Got into a bit of a, yeah, got into a bit of a bidding situation, and uh, Hunger Games ended up getting it for their soundtrack, and then a oh, bunch wow. of other trailers used it. Yeah. You must have been, you must have felt great after that. You must have been like, all this work put in, finally to come out like this is like yeah. the best possible, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you guys on uh, on the on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, I signed a really shitty deal for that song, mm. and it's and like, it's nobody's fault. Like, and I, I like back in two thousand. Like initially, when you had yeah, like at the, so initially at the time, so the way that trailer tracks work usually is like, you know, you get a fee and then you get like a piece, you get a fee to do it, and then you get like a piece of the fee if they sell it, and they can sell them for you know a hundred thousand dollars, so like fifty percent of a hundred thousand dollars, that's not bad for a weekend of work, right? Yeah. Um, you only win, you know, you don't win one a weekend, you win you know two a year or something, but still it's, um, it, you know, it's it's pretty good, so. I, uh, you know, we had finished this track and like nobody, I think everybody would tell you that they knew as soon as they heard it, but when we did it, nobody really liked it. So, <laughs> right. uh, so I was like, so they sent me this deal that was, you know, a pretty standard deal where I got some money for my fee and like a pretty shitty backend split um, because it didn't go for the thing that we intended it to go for. And nobody thought that it was going to be good for anything else because nobody liked it. And I thought, because I'd never worked with these people before, if I didn't just sort of sign this contract, I wasn't going to get my fee, which is what I needed to pay my rent that month. Right. So, um, you know, and in like uh, in defense of the, the publisher, you can look them up, but I'm not going to name them, but basically because they didn't do anything wrong. Like they, they, they weren't trying to screw me. They either, did like a standard know? industry yeah. move. Yeah, it was a pretty standard deal. And so like, and for especially for me at the time, like I was totally unknown. I was like, this was the first thing I'd ever done yeah. really of any note for anyone. It would be nice if they did 
though, you know, include something that would have helped you out if it did get successful, you know, but they don't. They might have done that if I had agreed to a lower fee. Yeah. Ah. But at that point in my life, I like needed that money today. You understand right. that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, so like, if I had come back to them and said like, you know what, I don't want the fee, I just want 15% of the revenue from the song going forward, they probably would have said yes. Wow. But I, you know, I, I couldn't afford to do that, so. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Did what you have to do, but it's a great story. Yeah. It's definitely an yeah, it's awesome, cool. <laughs> awesome piece on your resume as well, so. How did you choose the- Yeah, that's a great track. Was that um, like a, the song, was that pre-chosen for you to, to do that song? Yeah, the producer was a guy named Peter Shurkin and like the creatively, it was really his brainchild. We, yeah. uh, we did it, but you know, the idea of putting Lord and this song together was his, was his idea. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, people, like the, the term producer is a little bit of a joke sometimes, but it's also, but the, the funny thing is that like, these are the people who actually make stuff happen. Right. You know, like there is no way that I was going to call up Tears for Fears and then call up Lord and figure this out for myself. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and then the idea wouldn't have even occurred to me to do it, but yeah. uh, because someone uh, who like has more business savvy had this idea. And also he, he this particular producer is just really involved and detailed yeah. in the notes. And like, I mean, I think that song, I think what you hear is version 30 or something of that track. Like every time we sent it in, he was like, this is great, but add this, 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 and this. And um, it's funny because like, Th those types of people are the biggest pains in the ass to work with, but like, you always end up with something good. You know, right. like it's it's always worth it. And I, I never, I never mind it. Like I, I love when someone is so involved in the project, right. detailed because it just means it's going to be better than if I had done it myself. So, it's an interesting perspective because we're used to working alone on things so far. You know, we and Lee's worked with a couple of producers, one who has um, a couple of Grammy nominations himself. Um, so. Does he, Shout now, out to George's. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah. Now, does he do the same thing? Does he? Um, no, I, I think he uh, he he's kind of more like people go to him with the ideas. It'd be interesting to get into that mentality of somebody overseeing the project. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's part of the job when you're doing when you're the composer on a film is being that person. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, it's just a different, yeah. And I've done, I've done a, a few things. As a, one of the sort of bigger events I produced was I produced a concert of television music in Los Angeles called Score, and it was for the Emmys. It was like for the Television Academy, which is, you know, just an organization that produces stuff and also hands out awards. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so you know, it was just this like to get some, you know, as a as a spectator, right? You go to a concert and you like see a bunch of shit and you forget about it, you know, or, or you remember it forever, but whatever, it takes two hours. But yeah. as to put something like that together, like all, all those ideas, someone had to have those ideas. And then, you know, someone had to like rent a fog machine and find a guy who knew how to do this specific kind of wire rigging and find a sound person who knows how to mic these particular instruments in a particular concert hall, you know? Yeah. And, well, one yeah, thing, all that stuff just takes time and details. One thing I've taken from talking to you is just how everything has to come together with with what you're doing in the industry, whether it's music or uh, film scores. You know, you, you have to really um, put just just everybody has to come together as a team. 
So it's interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's important. I mean, it's really easy. This is one of the things I found when I was younger, and I guess I learned this from my parents, is that it's pretty easy to have an idea, uh, but it's really, and it's pretty easy to start a project, but it's really hard to finish it, to like get through the middle of it where you definitely want to give up and are sort of sick of it, and then get it all the way to the finish line. And one of the, one of the things my my first boss in Los Angeles talked about my, my composing mentor, Michael Levine, um, another East Coaster uh, in stuck in Los Angeles. But one of the things that he talked about was that um, most of the interns who come and even come from film school and like try to work at remote control and work for him, they do this thing where they'll get the ball to the 95 yard line and just spike it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they never quite get it over the finish line because that, that's the hardest part is like, Absolutely. you know, to get it from like almost done to done is the difference between uh, an amateur and a professional. <laughs> you know, it's it's this it's this much. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's really amazing. The mastering process, pretty much that last five percent. Just got to stick it in there and make it happen. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to realize. And, you know, a lot of. Uh, a lot of people just don't, you know, and I certainly don't follow through on, I mean, I don't realize every idea that I have, but that's once tough. I get it to a certain point, you know, sometimes you get brainstorming and you realize, man, that's a stupid idea. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. But <laughs> it does happen. Sometimes you just have but to. But yeah, when you're, when you're on a film or something, or like television is a great example, like television has a relentless schedule. And so when you start an episode of television, like you're going to finish it and you're going to finish it next Thursday. Yeah. That just is it. That schedule you have to abide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool though. I mean, sometimes it's good to have a schedule to, to keep you, to keep you moving though. Keep you active. Yeah. Deadlines are, deadlines really focus the mind. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I had a question quick too, because this, this podcast is, uh, it came about from our band, White Rabbit. and. You know, what would you say to somebody who is trying to break into composing for TV shows or commercials or anything of that nature? Because we do a lot of instrumental music and we, we've always wondered, how could we get into a video game? How could we get into something to do with that? What's the first step you would say um, on that journey? Yeah, uh, you got to be around the people who do that kind of stuff. That's the first thing I would say. Uh, and. You know, for me, I, it's it's funny because I, I give everybody the same advice. Like, you know, and everybody has a a reason why they can't or won't or don't have to do this. And an example of someone who didn't. But like, if you want to be in entertainment, move to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you want to be in jazz, move to New York. If you want to be in theater, move to New York or move to London. Like, you you have to go where the stuff is happening, and you definitely can do it other places. And there are examples of people who do. But, you know, my philosophy has always been, if even if I'm the most talented and best at everything, why would I not want to increase my chances of success? Yeah. Right. Because like my chances of, of landing a feature film or having a career as a composer in New York City were pretty high, but my chances of doing it in Los Angeles were way higher. And so I moved to Los Angeles. Makes you sense. Know? And yeah. that's, yeah, that's, so that's the, and the like, you know, the difference between you guys and me in going up for a job and even a job, I don't know your music, but like, you know, you certainly do something that you probably do better than me. But if a client who wants that exact thing that you do knows me and doesn't know you, they're just gonna hire me. Right, that makes sense. Because because they because they know that I can deliver. Even if they even if they've heard of you, they know that like oh yeah well you know we worked with Lucas on this and this and he knows this guy and that guy and we've done all these projects together. So if we call Lucas, 
he'll you know he'll he'll figure it out and he'll make sure that we get that we get it and that those kinds of relationships you have to build over years um and you can do it more virtually now than ever before but but yeah you gotta you gotta figure out how to be around those people you gotta get your hands dirty in other words (laughs) yep yeah so i'm not telling you to leave providence uh, but um, and you don't have to like i mean you also can visit like you know but you guys are young just fucking go move to another place and try it out for a while definitely putting it more yeah. in my mind now yeah. so yeah we appreciate that perspective yeah i'll tell you um what so richard Kraft, who is uh, i'll just name drop him um because he's a a person you should know find him on on facebook if you can uh, he's he's a he is the agent for composers he's not my agent but he is like the agent for like uh, I mean, every cool project, pretty much, he's, he's the agent. And he's this just really interesting guy who loves, loves, loves music. And uh, his, he's the agent um, of a family friend of mine. And so when I was first thinking about moving to Los Angeles, uh, my friend arranged for me to have a call with him. And I didn't really know who he was, but he apparently has this reputation and this effect on everyone that I'm going to describe to you. So I got on a call with him. It took like three weeks to arrange what ended up being like a 15-minute phone call because he's a very busy guy. And my uh, one, like the thing that I said to him was like, you know, I live in I live in New York. I've got a band here. I've got a studio. You know, I won some awards. I work with NBC. I've got some stuff. I'm, you know, I'm like established here. And I, I don't know if I want to uproot what I've got to move to Los Angeles. And he just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like somewhat rudely laughing. And I was like, what? He's like, you're not established. Nobody's ever fucking heard of you. but and like you know after i like stopped crying i realized that he was right you know like i had like i in my circle of friends i was the best composer but my circle of friends was not going to like hand me a film with a five-figure fee that i could do you know they were going to hand me a play that was happening in a black box theater for nobody and so I moved, um, and I love doing that stuff, just for the record, and I still do, but, um, but yeah, so I moved to Los Angeles, and, you know, it just, it makes a huge difference, yeah. just being around the people who are doing the things that you want to do, makes yeah. a big difference. Oh, that's good, good information, good intel. Yeah. Well, yeah, we appreciate you having you on, and appreciate the advice, uh, I just want to give you a minute here to, to plug anything, maybe, or talk about anything that we might have missed that you want to talk about in particular yeah any last announcement um no i I mean honestly i think i covered it i've got i i I release spotify music pretty regularly so uh, if you just lucas Cantor, you can find me on spotify um i've in the last like i said during covid i've gone through my back catalog and i have like i could probably release a song a week for like two years of just stuff that i haven't released that's ready to go and so i'm slowly just sort of getting it out there and um yeah anything i mean i i love for people to listen to my music and give me some feedback you can reach me through instagram which is just lucas decanter or through my website the email goes right to me so i don't know um if your listeners are aspiring composers i'm happy to you know give them the same harsh advice i just gave you guys or um or or something more specific um and uh and whatever. I just like talking about music and I like talking about technology and artificial intelligence. And, yeah. you know, while I am more busy than I was three months ago, it's still pretty slow, frankly. So, okay. you know, I got time to hang out with people. Yeah. Oh, we really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. and just taking all the time that you just did, man. And we appreciate you doing what you do with music, what you do with theater. And we're wishing you the best. You know, we're hoping that you keep going up and up and up and uh, keep getting your dreams, you know, right out in front of you. 
Thanks, guys. Well, I hope the same thing for you. And uh, next time I'm in New England, which I usually am four or five times a year, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have a drink in, uh, in Providence. Yeah. I'll come see the band. That'd be even more fun. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah. We'll be back at it yeah. soon. All right. Thanks, Luke. Awesome. All right. Have a good one, man. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That was Lucas Cantor. Wanted to just thank him once again for talking to us. Yeah, taking the time out of your day to just give us a little rundown on all that. We appreciate all the valuable information. It was a lot of fun talking, man. Absolutely. And uh, so we just wanted to give a couple shouts once again to uh, some projects that we have going on. There's going to be some new music coming soon from the rabbit hole. We have a new White Rabbit EP about to come out, Decadence. Decadence. Just putting the final touches on that. Everything's ready to go. We're gonna do the. We're doing the artwork today. Yeah. So. And then uh, there's a new Cosmic songs coming out, Cosmic Factory, uh, Lifeline EP coming soon with some some special music videos. And there's, uh, there's some real, special real, things happening yeah. with this too. So stay tuned because there's going to be something happening with this album that's never happened with a local album that I've heard of before. Yeah, a little, a little experiment. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh... And then uh, Zach Gross single as well will be coming soon. Sushi Rolls. Sushi Rolls. Be on the lookout for that. It's Got coming all-star soon. cast backing them up on that song. Absolutely. So, um, there's one more shout, too, to my personal project, Brian Rose, our last guest. We have our single coming out within the next month, and that's going to be exciting. So stay tuned if you want the chill. Cool tape vibes and uh, some chill guitars. And uh, and we're working on the the fourth compilation, Down the Rabbit Hole compilation. So if you're interested in being on that, just send Send your tracks to uh, rabbitholepvd at gmail.com. And uh, we hope to feature you on that. So, uh, yeah, please subscribe. Thanks for watching. Subscribe, hit it, click it. See you next time. Share it. See you next time.